Hi, I'm Diane Shannon. I'm an internal medicine physician, award-winning writer, and certified coach. I learned the hard way about the cost of burnout. And in the 20 plus years since, I have dedicated my life to addressing physician burnout. I run a coaching company where I help women in medicine navigate the stresses inherent in the profession and the additional challenges that they experience. Join me as I investigate the underlying causes of the higher burnout rates in women and what we can do about them individually and collectively. We can banish burnout and thrive as women in medicine. Welcome, Sapna. Thank you, Diane. I, I'm a big fan of your work. Well, thank you. I, I sincerely mean that. You know, I started following you about two years ago from your blog and from LinkedIn. And so I'm really excited that you're doing this podcast. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you joining me in one of my first episodes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Well, let's start with this, this question. Where are you located in the country and what do you do? Sure. I'm located in a flyover state. I'm located in Kansas and I actually am a practicing rural doc. I, I So I live and work in rural America, southeast part of Kansas in a little town called Winfield, mostly known for a bluegrass festival. Um, I'm an internal medicine physician and I have been practicing in this community in one way or another for the last 10 years. Excellent. And now for a warm-up question. Sure. What is an activity that you do outside that you really enjoy? Outside, meaning I'm going to say that is outdoors. Yes. Yeah. So actually two of them, hiking and trying to grow a garden with small children. That's challenging, but also very entertaining. So those are the two things that occupy us when the weather is good. Sounds great. All right, so let's dive in. First of all, what is the challenge that you would like to focus on today? Yeah, you know, there's so many, but when before, as we were talking about before the recording, um, one thing that really kind of hit me in the last, I would say, quarter was a little bit of mom and professional guilt. And I'll, I'll preface this with um, several years ago, I kind of let go of the guilt when it's something that I can't control and it's not reasonable or rational. Uh, a little bit about my background. I'm, I come from a partially Mex very Mexican-American Catholic background. And so that's very laden with guilt and you know, I'm, I'm your mother or, you know, God sees that he wouldn't like that. So there's a lot of guilt back in, um, in, in my younger days. And I've really shed that and really, uh, have looked at, does this make sense? And if it doesn't, then let it go. Having said that, adding kids in a career, even though it's small town and there are so many perks about that, I wouldn't change it. But one thing that hit me was, one of my kids said, hey, mom, you weren't at our Halloween party. All the other moms were. 
And they, they said, why weren't you there? And I said, well, I didn't know about it. And the second the second thing is, is, you know, mommy's mommy's a doctor. That was on the days that I worked. I can't be in two places at once, right? And he said, well, well, no. And when you get sick, you want your doctor to be available when you're sick to see you, right? And goes, yeah, and mind you, he's five. And so I said, you know, mommy was taking care of sick people, but I'm we're going to go trick-or-treating tonight. And when I can, don't I take you to school and pick you up? Well, yeah. And don't we have our bedtime routine? And don't we have these other things that we do together? And it's like, yeah. And that, that was the end of the conversation. But it, it put back in my mind, it's like, okay, gosh, why didn't I know about it? Well, I, I probably missed the flyer or the information. I mean, we we try to keep up with everything. Um, you know, I check their backpacks every night. So it's like, gosh, did I fail at that point? And I had to really think, and I said, no, that's not rational because you check their backpacks every night. And I was further thinking, why didn't a text or a, you know, a, a message come through? I scrolled back and I didn't find anything. So, I mean, I spent, a, the point is I spent more time than I should have to rationalize why did I not know about this? And it's, it is something so silly. Right. So there's that piece about not knowing and then the conversation that you needed to have with your son about why you couldn't be there. Right. 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 And I mean, it's it's something very small to in retrospect, but to a child that their world is very small compared to ours. Right. And so. And that's just an example and then if you magnify that with somebody that maybe doesn't have family support, maybe somebody that's not working full time or doesn't have a place of work that is as flexible as where I'm at, those add up and that can eat you alive. Right. So this is all falling under the umbrella of that guilt that you feel when your professional work it means that you can't be somewhere else at the same time. Right. 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 And it sounds like you were really successful at letting go of some previous guilt that came from your background. How, how do you see this type of guilt? How do you get your head around it? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a great question because it's involving a little person and going back to the their world being small, smaller than ours as an adult or as a, as a working professional, as, as a physician. So there's in the past, you had this guilt that you felt from your upbringing and you were able to kind of get your head around that. Mm -hmm. And this is a different kind of guilt that doesn't seem to fit into that same category, right? How do you get your head around that? Right. So for me, it was the fact that I had to look at why was he asking that question? Well, it's because he was he's five and he was asking or probably thinking, where's his mom? All, all these other parents are there. But he also knows what I do for a living. And he also knows how or as much as a five year old can understand 
how demanding that can be because I'm pretty open with him as far as, well, I can't do that right now because mommy's going to go to work or I'm on call. So I have to take this call and you have to be quiet because this is really important. Um, you know, taking care of sick people. And I use his pediatrician as a, as a parallel. So he, he gets a, at least a parallel relationship. And so the intent was not malicious. It was simply a question of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that and like, okay, he understands that we get to do all these other things and I'll be there when I can. And when I can't, I, I can't for other reasons. And he understands those reasons. That was that. And we went on with our evening. We had a great time trick or treating and it, it was never brought up again. And it didn't come up with any of the other holiday events that they had at the school. And the reason why I bring this up is because, again, there's just this this guilt. And I don't know if men feel it as much as women, but I know women where there's that nurturing side. And we want to be at two places at once, whether it's for uh, a fun activity with the family or even with, with friends. There are times when we can't be in two places at once and we have to make that decision going forward. If I need to look at how I'm going to spend my time as much as I love the holidays, um, all of them, I would rather be there in the evening for the, for the bigger events when there were not so there's not so much time constraint and continue with my work during that day, then take time off for something that's going to last an hour, but then have to play catch up, if that makes sense. Playing catch up with your work, you mean? Correct. So if we if we broaden this a little to think about, um, you know, you're bringing up this challenge of guilt, of the guilt. And specifically, we're talking about women in medicine on this podcast. So right. the guilt that women in medicine feel. Right. And um, personal personal life juxtaposes with our professional life. Yes. Right. So what do you think are some of the drivers that make that guilt more uh, accessible, that, that bring that up to the fore for women in medicine? I think it's several things. I, I do think that by, by nature, we want to be there to comfort the, our our family members, our loved ones, the ones that are hurting. Having said that, I think it's augmented to an unrealistic level by society that, you know, the the perfect role model of a woman. And I, I'm not a Barbie fan, but I think um, it was very well said in the movie, like you have to be professional, but not, but you can't really raise your voice and you have to be able to speak, but you can't piss anybody off. And I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm paraphrasing from what I could, from what I remember. And so that we have this idea that we have to be this unrealistic cookie cutter um, representation. And to be honest, there's 50 shades of gray as far as personality and flair and the way we come across, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be one to dress up and go to clinic. I'm going to wear scrubs and my boots because that's what I'm comfortable in and it's practical. And when, when I am 
off on the weekends. If it's cold outside, I'm going to be in my jeans. And if it's, and if it's warm outside, if it's hot outside, I'm going to be in shorts. I mean, that's just who I am. I'm very casual. And I've accepted that fact. It doesn't mean that I don't care about my appearance. It just means I'm, you're never going to catch me in high heels. That's, that, but that's just me. It always has been. And so I think if we start to embrace the fact that who we actually are at the core and say to society that you're not going to dictate who I am, I'm going to dictate who I am and be comfortable with that. I'm going to gain my confidence from my own internal validation, my own internal voice. I think that is really where, really where the power lies. Right. Well, it's so interesting to think about, you know, you're, you're mentioning like professional women. And so in the Barbie movie, right, it's about women in general, right? In our right, society. right. What about the section of us that choose to go into medicine and, and the professional culture within medicine? How do you think that fits with these unrealistic expectations or this kind of shoeboxing of who we're supposed to be? That's a great question. And I think it's going to depend on who's in leadership. You know, representation matters, right? Demographics, ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, et cetera. Why do I bring that up? Again, I'm in the Midwest. If I go to a larger hospital that is predominantly run by white men, they're going to look at me and say, you know, you, you need to be a certain way. And I'm not talking about, um, I'm talking about just men versus women. I'm not talking about anything else. Um, I've been in that culture and it wasn't admin. It was the other physicians. You know, I was one of two women docs and uh, it was, oh, you don't like to work. No, it's not that I don't like to work. It's that I understand that there's more to life than just working. I'm not married to my job. So, but I mean, let's look at the demographics behind that. Uh, typically, and I'm not saying always, but older generation, uh, the man might be the breadwinner and he has a stay-at-home wife or a nanny and, and he never really has to raise a hand with the kids or the family, right? So there's division of labor. And a lot of times with women in medicine nowadays, we're the breadwinners and then we got to go home and do everything else. Well, I'm going to say this, uh, delegate, 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 because I'm not going to go home and do all that. I'm going to offload it onto somebody else or another service. But I also think that it depends on who's in charge. So when you say who's in charge, do you mean within the hospital within, system yeah. practice? Right, within the ad organization. But then at the same time, you know, you can also start by, again, just being comfortable in your own skin. I, I think that's really key because if you can't be comfortable in your own skin, your own thoughts, your own words then anywhere you go is going to eat you alive. So if you start with the small things about like positive information from in internally, and just, it's it's a process, right? We all have our demons to, to slay. But being comfortable in your own skin, being your authentic self, and if you have a policy, for example, if they have a policy of no purple hair, I'm just throwing that out there, right? That's... What is the 
darkest color that you could get away with. That would really blur those lines just to be a very, very subtle rebel. But see, that's that's something that I would do. But But to all those out there that are really struggling with something like that, start being comfortable in your own skin. And I think once you start doing that and being your authentic self, it might open up your eyes as to where your blind spots have been. And then from there, you can move and say, hey, this is meeting my needs or no, it's not. And this is why uh, I'm not being taken seriously or it's not meeting my needs as far as work-life balance. It's not meeting my needs as far as professional fulfillment. But you have to identify that those weak spots or those pain points before you can figure out what the next step is. Absolutely. What you're reminding me of is this analogy I heard a while back, um, this idea that if you're climbing that ladder, right, to advance in your in your profession, mm -hmm. whatever your professional goals or desires are, but it turns out you're going up the wrong ladder, right? You need to go back and find the ladder that's going to lead you to your goals, right? To right. what matters to you, right? So I hear what you're saying is almost like a two-part um, solution. One is about individuals really owning their voice, owning their authentic self, being comfortable with who they are and getting that internal validation and having that, you know, if there are blind spots, becoming aware of those. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned the part about leadership. So I wanted to follow up on that part to say, what do you think would help in terms of leadership behavior or leadership decisions that mm -hmm. would make some of these organizations ones that are better adapted to supporting and retaining women in medicine? Looking at the math, looking at the math, right? Because we have to remember that organizations are, and I don't agree with it, but it is what it is. They're driven by profit. So let's look at the math. What does it take to lose a physician. Not only do you get patient backup, you have worse outcomes with patients because of the wait time um, and they're going to go somewhere else, but then you also have to recruit and then you have to onboard them and then you have to slowly build up their, their patient panel. That's a lot of revenue. So honestly, they need to get out of their silos and really go start talking to the ones that are on the front lines taking care of patients, looking at what they need. And listen, because th these demographics are not going to change. Over 50% of medical students are women. These are the physicians that are going to be taking care of me when I'm old and that are going to be taking care of the rest of our, our, our country. And no, you can't substitute a physician with an APRN or a PA. The training's different. So if they're going to go after that model, uh, they have bigger issues. And I think that'll get worse before it gets better. But go and ask the ones that are in the front line, ask them what they need and implement it. Great. And so let me ask you this, from your perspective, being on the front lines, what are three things that you think either, um, it doesn't have to be organizational leaders where you are, but in 
in general, what are three things that you think they could do that would help to retain women physicians or women in medicine, let's say? Sure. I would say, you know what, let's, let's get creative, right? Let's get creative. There, there can be job sharing. So you can have two part-time physicians that want to come together and say, we're going to job share and cover for each other. There can be innovation that way. Number two is let's, I'm just going to say it. Uh, hours that align with school or if you don't have school age kids, childcare, um, hours that align with, with daycare drop-off and pickup. Because I mean, that's huge. That's huge. You can't, you can't be in two places at once, but at the same time, you can't let a little human being like, de they depend on us. So make the hours workable or, or adjustable so that way this can be sustainable. You know, I can see myself working where I am indefinitely just because of how flexible it is. Right. And the and the third thing, the third thing would be equal pay. And I know that that is, there are several things that go into that, but equal pay is a must, especially if we want to retain because if I'm doing the same work and I'm not getting paid, I, I am getting fairly compensated. So I'm, I'm making this as a blanket statement. If I'm not getting paid the same as my male colleague is doing the same or less, I'm leaving Sayonara. I'm moving my family elsewhere. That's just the way it is. Great. Great. Thank you for those examples. And I just want to add to that. I think also what, what I've seen with some of the physicians I've worked with is when it came, you know, with COVID and we, and there was a the loss of childcare, when it came down to the decision of who's going to stay home, who's going to cut back in two physician families, right? The women cut back because they were making less. Right. So equal pay also means you're going to retain when there's that question of who needs to cut back. It's not always going to be the women in that situation. Correct. Great. Those are those are three fantastic examples. And I think that the specificity is really helpful. And also what you said about the way to find out is to go ask the questions at the front line. Sure. Right? I mean, Let's let's be honest. Most of us in in healthcare have critical thinking skills. We can think on our feet. We're problem solvers. We bring solutions. Um, a lot of it, yes, it's it's medicine related. But we also can translate those skills into other areas, and we forget that. So we can come up with solutions. Great. Sapna, thank you so much. I want to turn now to any advice that you might have for our listeners. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. One of the biggest things that I would have to say is get comfortable with your authentic self. And you, if you don't know who she is, find out. Find out because it's an awesome journey and she's probably cooler than what you think. I love that. Thank you. And if our listeners would like to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Sure. So two predominant ways, uh, 
my my website for the podcast, theworthyphysician.com, and also on LinkedIn, where I'm most active socially. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Shah Hawk, for joining me today on my podcast episode and being one of my first guests. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>